Good morning. Great to see all you guys at church. We've had an incredible weekend already. It's a great time with the dream team and then all the services. All the services. You guys do a lot of services. That's what I've decided. You guys have a lot of services going on, but it's just been amazing, all of it. So encouraged by what God's doing at this church and this house and this city. Just incredible the work that God's doing through all of you and such an honor to be here. I don't just say this because I have to, but we absolutely adore and love your pastors, Pastors Paul and Ashley. You've got some of the best. You have some of the best, and I really mean that. And uh, we're standing with you at Jesus Culture all the way from Sacramento, believing God with you and for you and, and alongside you for a city to be saved and transformed and just exciting to see. Are you ready to get in the Word this morning? Are you ready to open up the Word of God? That's where we're here. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, either one counts. It's legal. If you have it, 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to get there in just a moment, all right? 1 Kings 19, I'm going to get to in just a moment. But I have a, God's heart for you is that you would be fully alive and fully free. This is what God desires for you. I can tell you right now, whoever you are, that God's desire and heart and mandate over your life is that you would be fully alive and that you would be fully free. The job description of Jesus who came from the Father for us is very clear that he came to give us life and he came to give us life more abundantly. God wants you to experience abundant life. That's what he desires, that's what he's going after. And the way that you experience life and what Jesus does to get you to experience life is he connects you to truth. The Bible says that, that we know the truth and the truth will set us free. So Jesus comes to give you life and he does that by connecting you to truth. And when you're connected to truth, when you're connected to the truth of who God is, when you're connected to the truth of his character and his nature and his kindness and his goodness, when you're connected to his power and his forgiveness, when you're connected to truth, it results in freedom. That's the job description of Jesus, to come and give you life, life more abundantly, and it's through truth that you're set free. But the job description of Satan is also clear, that he came to steal, to kill, and destroy. This is what he's going after. And, and, and the, the enemy's job description is to lead you into bondage. That's what he's trying to do. He doesn't want you fully alive. He doesn't want you fully free. He wants you in bondage. And the way that he does that is he lies to you. The primary weapon or the weapon of choice for the devil is lies. The Bible says that he is the father of lies. One translation says that it's his native tongue. His native tongue is lies. And so what the enemy does, if Jesus comes to set you free, if Jesus comes to connect you to the truth so that you can experience freedom, the enemy comes to lie to you, to disconnect you from truth, so that you'll be led into bondage. Paul, he writes, I'm going to read this. We're going to get to 1 Kings, but Paul in 2 Corinthians, he's writing to the church in Corinth in his second letter, and he says this. He says, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, or one translation says outsmarted or outwitted, so that we weren't outsmarted, so that we weren't outwitted, so that so that the enemy, Satan, could not take advantage of us. And this is what Paul says. For we are not ignorant of his schemes. 
So Paul says, listen, the enemy was wanting to take advantage of me, but he couldn't take advantage of me because I'm aware of how he operates. I, I, the, the enemy couldn't come and outsmart me. The enemy couldn't come and outwit me. He couldn't take advantage of me because I'm aware of how he works. I'm aware that he's a liar. I'm aware that he's trying to bring lies to separate me from truth to get me to bondage, but I wasn't outsmarted or outwitted because I'm not unaware of how he works. I'm going to read to you a story in 1 Kings, and I'm going to read a, a decent portion of scripture this morning about Elijah. Elijah is an interesting study when you begin to talk about how the enemy begins to bring lies into our lives. Elijah comes off the story that you would know if you grew up in Sunday school, you would have heard the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel and how he had the victory over the 400 prophets of Baal and the incredible, profound story of Elijah standing on top of that mountain, calling an entire nation to turn to God, to asking God to come with fire and responding, and God responded with fire on a sacrifice, and 450 prophets of Baal were killed, and an entire nation nation turns to God. That story is profound, but the next moment after that story, we find Elijah beginning to believe lies. Elijah begins to believe lies. This is a man of God. This is a, a man who has believed truth, stood on a mountain, believed that God would come as he said he would, and, and all of a sudden Elijah's believing lies, and Elijah began to wrestle with three lies that we all believe as well. I believe that the lies that Elijah was wrestling with are the same ones that the enemy's trying to gain access in our life over. Elijah began to believe that God had abandoned him, that he was all alone, that God had left him. Now, I find in the church that now we don't become, rarely do believers turn into full-blown atheists. We don't stop believing in God. We become what I call situational atheists. So we, we, we believe in God, we just don't believe he's God of this situation. We become situational atheists. This is how it works. You remember that Sunday school song, he's got the whole world in his hands? He's got the whole, maybe it didn't make it to Tulsa. It was in California. I don't know, there was a, a Sunday school song in California we used to sing as kids. He's got the whole world in his hands. It's really good, you should hear it sometime. But you remember that song? Yeah. Not a trick question. And uh, it's like, I believe God has the whole world in his hands. I just don't believe he has this situation in his hands. And I'm a situational atheist. I believe God's abandoned me. I believe that when I come to my finances, God exists. He's just not God in my finances. God exists. He's just not God in my marriage. He's abandoned me in my marriage, and he's abandoned me in my finances, and he's abandoned me at my workplace, that God just isn't here with me in this moment. And, and this is what Elijah begins, begins to believe, that, that God had abandoned him. And he begins to believe the lie that the situation was hopeless. You're going to read in this story, but Elijah sits down. He sits down. You know who sits down? People that have no hope. The Bible says that, that his thoughts towards you is to give you a future and a hope. People that have no hope believe there's no future, so they just stop. Why move forward if there's no future, so I stop? And so Elijah believed the situation was hopeless. 
This is one of the great war in our time right now over the issue of hope. Elijah believed that God had abandoned him. Elijah believed that there was no hope. But the third thing is that Elijah believed he was all alone. There was no people around him, that he was the only one, that nobody else could understand, that nobody else would be able to relate, that, that not only had God abandoned him, but people were not there as well. Let me read this passage to you, and we're going to read a, a decent amount of scripture. So if you've got your Bible, starting in verse 1, it says this, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself, we're going to come back to that. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals in a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again, and the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went by the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Now I want you to skip down to verse 13. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazel as king over Syria, and you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, over Israel and Elisha. Verse 17. And it should be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Verse 18, yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. How is it that Elijah has an encounter on the mountain at that level, profound victory, standing in truth, believing in the nature and character of God in that moment, how is it that Elijah, a man of God with a nature like ours, standing on that mountain, in one moment believing truth, the next moment beginning to believe lies? Here's what I believe. I believe that Elijah began to believe lies because he was wore out. He was wore out. If you can imagine the picture that it wasn't just the mountaintop, that was the moment Elijah, three and a half years earlier, had prophesied that there would be a drought, that there would be no rain. And because of that, the entire nation of Israel was in severe famine. They were in severe famine. So Elijah had prophesied something. It had happened. The entire nation was in famine, and they were blaming Elijah. So for three and a half years, not only was Elijah on the run from Ahab, Having to, get, having to get food from a widow. It, was, it had gotten so bad, he didn't have anything. He had to get food from a widow. But an entire nation was blaming him for their problems. And I believe he was wore out. 
See, when, 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 when Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, we're not, we're, we're not unaware of his schemes, what we have to understand is the enemy is trying to get access to your life. He's trying to, get, he's trying to find an opening so that he can get a lie in. And what happens is, is when we get worn down, we drop our guard. This is much like boxing. If you watch boxing at all, it's a, if you have any even, you know, amateur view of boxing, that when you watch it, you know that, that the strategy of a boxer is, is I've got to keep my guard up. Because the vulnerable part of my body, my head, has to be protected at all times. And if I drop my guard, my head becomes exposed and the other, the opponent gains access. So I have to keep my guard up. And the opponent is trying to get me to drop my guard so that when I'll drop my guard, he'll have access. This is what the enemy is trying to do. The enemy comes in times when you are wore out. And when you have dropped your guard, and he comes with lies. Well, it's amazing to me how many people have left church or have left marriages or, or, or have left their faith in times when they are wore out, when they're worn down, and the enemy has had access to plant a lie. The Bible says this, above all else, Here's the top priority. Listen to this verse in Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So, so it's saying this. Listen, whatever priorities you may have, above all of those. Give me your priorities. Above all of those. Here's your top priority. Guard your heart. Because... From your heart is where everything flows, the issues of life. So the enemy is looking for when your guard is dropped around your heart and he can gain access with lies. This is his primary weapon. It's his weapon of choice, a lie that gets into our heart. And I believe that Elijah had dropped his, his guard. And what's amazing to me is how many believers I'm around that, that don't understand top priority above all else. No greater priority. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. When you are under fire, when you are under attack, guard your heart. There is not another priority. There's a, if you've watched any type of World War II movie or, or um, even that movie, Heart, uh, Hacksaw Ridge, Heartbreak Ridge, that's a Clint Eastwood movie. What's the latest one that came out? Um, Hacksaw Ridge. Um, you, will have, you will have come across combat medics. So soldiers are on the field, a soldier goes down, and you'll see them on the, on the field, uh, on the battlefield yelling, medic, 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 and a combat medic will run over and begin to take care of them. Combat medics are trained in something called tactical combat casualty care. Tactical combat casualty care. There's three phases that they're trained under. The first one, which I'm gonna to read to you about, is called care under fire. The next one is a phase where they're no longer under fire, but they're still limited with what they have. The third one is, is where they're not in a hospital yet, but they have more stuff. They're trained in this. But listen to the first phase of tactical combat casualty care called care under fire. It says this. This is care rendered at the scene of the injury 
Well, both the medic and the casualty are under hostile fire. Available medical equipment is limited to that carried by each operator and the medic. This stage focuses on a quick assessment and placing a tourniquet on any major bleed. This training focuses on major hemorrhaging and airway complications such as tension, pneumothorax. Here's the point of this. If I'm a combat medic, what's your name? Nick. And Nick goes down on the battlefield. If I'm a combat medic on the battlefield with him, I have to very quickly, I have, bullets are flying. We're still under fire. I have to be able to assess very quickly what matters most. Because if I'm on the battlefield and I'm, I'm repairing a sprained ankle while he can't breathe, like we'll deal with the sprained ankle later. There's a few things that matter in this moment. Sprained ankle's not one of them. I have to, I have to, I am trained to assess. If I come and I'm working on your dislocated shoulder and yet you're bleeding out, I have to be able to prioritize in that moment what matters. What's the priority right now? And it's amazing to me how many believers, when they are under fire, don't understand that top priority, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. When your marriage is under fire, guard your heart. When your finances are under fire, guard your heart. When it's hard at work, guard your heart. And this is what happens is that the Bible says guard your heart above all else. And, 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 and that when we get worn down, we have to understand this. When I get worn down, that is when I begin to drop my guard. Elijah was worn down. It had been a long three years. He was worn down. And when he was worn down, he dropped his guard. And when he dropped his guard, he began to believe lies. There's a ton of reasons why we get worn down. I mean, I, I, life at some level just can just wear you down sometimes. Life has a way. There are some seasons in our life, I call them the cat in the U-Haul season. When I was, when I was, here's my cat in the U-Haul story. When I, I married my wife, and uh, I, I was telling the first service, my wife is like one big beautiful ball of chaos. Uh, she's just, it's, uh, she's just amazing that way. She loves life, and she loves animals, and she loves, she's just, yeah, I, I love it. She's, uh, it's amazing. But when we got married, she, when she was, we got married at 21. So she would have been, a I think, a junior in college. But when she was a senior in high school, right before she was about to go to college, she got a cat. They lived on 10 acres over the top of this mountain. She, she got a cat. And this, she named the cat Salami and Sal for short. And so she had the cat for a while. But then when she left to college, her parents just kind of stopped taking care of the cat. And so the cat started, like, living in the woods and just fending for itself. And we would go back and forth to visit her family a few hours away. And every time we'd come home, Sal would, like, come out of the woods and this uh, just mangy looking, mangy looking, like eat, I don't know what you're eating in the woods, but it's not good. And, and like, and, and, and CJ would feel so bad. And, and for the few days we're there, like take care of him. And finally, we're about six months into marriage. We go down and Sal comes out of the woods and she said, Banning, I can't do this anymore. We have to take Sal home. They're not, we have to take Sal. And I said, we live in an apartment. They won't take him. She said, call your parents and see if they'll take him. And so I call my parents and said, sure. So we're going to take Sal home. 
We happen to have a U-Haul at the time because we're going to bring some other stuff home with us. So I'm in the U-Haul. My wife's going to be driving the car. I get Sal in, my, in, 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 in the cab of this truck. I'm sitting in there. Sal, he's got, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's got his front paws on, like the pa- on the driver's side window, like sitting on me right here. And just, it wasn't a meow. It was like a scream. I don't know what it was. It was like a meow scream. And I'm like, oh, okay, I got three hours. I can do this. I love my wife. I love my wife. We're newlyweds. I'm enjoying the fruits of marriage. This is going to be fine. This is, no, this can't be that hard. So, so cat's right there. I get out of the driveway. It's like a long driveway down this hill. We're going down the hill, and Kat's just, just screaming, meowing, screeching, and all of a sudden, I feel this gush of wet warmth all over my lap. This cat standing on me just peed all over me. And I was like, oh. Like, and so her granny lived at the bottom of the hill, so we pull over to her granny's house. I'm like trying to clean myself up, and her granny goes, I got this old, like, I got her to vet. It's this, like, cardboard cat carrier. Do you want it? I'm like, okay. But he was small, so we shove Sal in this thing, <laughs> close it up, sits next to me. I try to get as much as I can off me. I'm driving home. We get out. I'm on the freeway. I've been on the freeway for 10 minutes, and all of a sudden, I kid you not, maybe the worst stench I have ever smelled in my entire life because cat, because Sal diarrheaed all inside the box. And then we were just thrashing around in there. And it, like, it was like three years of, of like eating in the woods, diarrhea. I don't even know what it was. It was the worst smell I'd ever smelled. And I'm like, I'm like trying to put my, I can't get the cat out. He's covered in diarrhea. <laughs> And I've got pee on me, and I'm like trying to like, I'm like dry heaving, trying not to puke. Like, I got my nose out the window for the three hours. You know how in life sometimes people are like, how's it going? It's kind of a cat in the U-Haul season. Just a lot going on. (laughs) Like, really tell me about it. It's hard to describe. It's just a lot happening. Sometimes it's just a cat that you all season. Sometimes you're just wore out because you're like, I don't know, a lot's coming at me all at once. And, uh, and, and it's not just raining, it's pouring. And it's just a cat that you all season. Sometimes we get wore out because life's just coming at us that way. Sometimes we get wore out because we think a season is going to end. Sometimes we drop our guard because the enemy is coming full force. Other times we drop our guard because we think a season's going to end and it doesn't. This happens way more than you think. You know what the plan, you know a boxer's strategy is some boxers lose fights because they're good for the first five, six rounds, but they weren't prepared for the seven, eight, nine, ten rounds. And so they're all good, and the opponent knows, I just have to outlast you a little bit. Eventually, you're going to wear down and drop your guard because you don't realize this fight's going longer than you think it is. I remember, it's a silly story, but I'm not away from my family. I I travel, but I'm not away for long extended times. But a few years ago, I went on a trip to Australia and Malaysia for 16 days. 
longest I've ever been away from my family since we've been married. 16 days, I'm out there. It's beautiful. God did amazing stuff, but, but I'm just ready to be home. And, and, you know, I get melancholy about three days in. Every commercial I see of kids, I'm like, I love my kids. What am I doing? You know, it's one of those type things. And so, you know, you just, I'm just ready to be home. I land in Sacramento after 16 days, international travel. I finally land. And uh, somebody picks me up. I grab my bag. I get in the car. I'm 35 minutes from my front door. 16 days, I got 35 minutes, and I'm going to be at my house. That's how far away the airport is. We drive. I get out of the car. I grab my bag. I'm walking up to my door. I'm from the end of the stage to here. My front door. I can see my front door. Like, I'm about to walk in my front door. And I look down and realize I'd gotten somebody else's bag. <laughs> Do you know that feeling? That feeling is just like, oh. This isn't over. <laughs> this 16 days, this 24 hours, it's not over. Like I'm right here, I'm like, I think it's over, I think it's over, and I look down, it's not over. I gotta go all the way back to the airport. I gotta find my bag. I gotta find the lady whose bag I took. <laughs> I gotta drive all the way back. And, 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 and there's many times when we're like, when we're, we're geared up, right, we're ready. But then, but then we realize, wait, wait, is this not over yet? Wait, I thought the season was going to be over. Like, I've been in this fight. Is it not over? And there, there's a moment many times when we drop our guard simply because we get worn down because it took longer than we thought. And when that, when that guard comes down, the enemy has access. So, sometimes, we, sometimes it's just because we get hit in the same spot. You know, a boxer, to get you to drop your guard, will keep hitting you in the same spot over and over again. You ever been in that spot where you get an unexpected bill in the mail, but you're like, Oh, Jesus, you're my provider. Jehovah Jireh, I believe in you. You're going to provide for me. I know. And then you're just full of faith. I mean, you're just in faith. And then the next day, your car breaks down. You're my provider. You're Jehovah Jireh. You've got all the cattle on a hill and gold. And, you know, you're, and, then, and then the next day, your kid has to go to the emergency room. It's just like eventually, it's just like I just get worn down. So the question then is this, if we got to keep our guard up, how do we keep our guard up? Let me get practical with you. Can I do that? Here's three quick points. Are you ready? This is the practical side because I believe that God wants you to experience freedom. I believe that God wants you to be fully alive, fully free, but that the enemy's coming and he's trying to get lies. He's trying to gain access into your life with lies. And when he can find an opening and he can get a lie to come in, that's what begins to lead us into bondage. And Elijah is a man of God. He's a man of God. This isn't some slouch we're talking about. And if he began to deal with lies because he was worn down, then we had better position our life to keep our guard up and to recognize when we are worn down, that is when we become most vulnerable to the, enemy, to the lies of the enemy gaining access to our life. Here's three quick things. First one is this. Don't underestimate the power of a meal and a nap. You know what? The first thing, listen, God's going to come to Elijah with his presence and all the other spiritual things we think. But you know what he first did? He said, Elijah, you know what you need? You need a nap and you need a meal. 
You know one of the most spiritual things you can do sometimes is to go to sleep and eat a meal. It's amazing to me that we, we don't connect these things. We don't connect that when we're worn down physically, it affects us spiritually. And we don't equate physical meals and physical naps with spirituality, but it's one of the most, this is what God said. God's like, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to bring my presence to you. We're going to, like, but, but first, you need to take a nap. You need to get a meal. Remember my, my, uh, my wife, when we had little kids, I'd come home from work. I was a youth pastor. I was doing hard work. I was hanging out with young people. And uh, I don't know what else I did, not much else, but I, it was hard work. So I'd come home from a full day of work, and my wife would be there with a the baby, and she'd meet me at the door with like this frazzled, hollow look, hair messed up with a baby. So take this baby. I've been working hard, woman. She goes, did you go to the bathroom by yourself today? Yeah, a few times. Yeah, I didn't. Here's the baby. <laughs> and, then, and then she would, I kid you not, she would go to Target. This is what she'd do. She'd go to Target. She'd get a hot pretzel from like the little food area in Target. And then you would find her, not, not even shopping, you would find her walking around Target eating a hot pretzel <laughs> by herself. People in our church would run into her just walking around Target eating a hot pretzel <laughs> just looking at stuff. Sometimes you just need a meal and a nap, and it's spiritual. Here's the problem with charismatic circles. Sometimes we're like, man, I'm wore out. You know what you need to do? You need to fast, and you need to get up earlier and pray. <laughs> and listen, I believe in prayer and fasting. But literally, we're like, you're worn down. You know what you should do? Stop eating and get less sleep. <laughs> That's what you should do. You know what spiritual people do? They sleep less and eat less. That's what you should be doing. Listen, I'm all for prayer and fasting, right? I really am. But don't underestimate the power of a meal and a nap. Don't underestimate that God first told Elijah, hey, watch some Netflix, eat a pizza, and take a nap. It's going to be the best church ever if we're giving you permission to spiritual, spiritualize meals and naps. Amen. Victory, best church in the world if we're saying, you can go take a meal and a nap. Spiritual. Take care of your physical self is the whole point because it is connected. Your physical, emotional, spiritual, they're all connected. And we need to stop acting like they're not. Here's the second thing. Always keep one foot in water. This phrase, this phrase always keeps one foot in water, it comes from, I met a, a, the son of a Navy SEAL. His father was a Navy SEAL in the Vietnam era. And I was talking to him, and he said, he said, you know, my dad and his Navy SEAL friends, they have this phrase, always keep one foot in water. I'm going to read to you a portion out of a book, but, but the, the, the point was, was that Navy SEALs, what separates them is their ability to thrive in water where others can't. So, so Navy SEALs, when they're engaged in, in, in a fight, they are always aware of where water is. They know where water is. 
And if they're in trouble, they retreat to water. Let me, let me read this to you. There's a book called America's Special Forces by a guy named David Bower. And he says this, the acronym SEAL identifies the environments in which they operate, sea, air, land. SEALs are, first and foremost, warriors who come from the sea and return to its silent darkness when their work is done. This distinction alone sets them apart from all other special operation forces. Now listen to this phrase. Though one of nature's harshest environments, the water is a safe haven for seals. It is where they are most comfortable and confident. In other words, I may be in a battle here, and I may be in trouble. I may be under fire. I may be in trouble. But, but a seal knows it may be a level playing field here, but when I get into water, it's no longer level playing field. It's no longer level playing field. Because water is one of nature's harshest environments unless you're a seal. Because that's where they're most comfortable and confident. So I may be getting beat up here. But when I retreat to water, the enemy can't actually follow me there. If you're going to keep your guard up, and this is what happened to Elijah, it was the presence of God that came to him. It's those that have the default mode of the presence of God. It's those who know how to retreat to the presence of God. It's those who know how to go get in His presence when they are worn down. It is those who know how to go get in His presence when they are believing lies. Because there are things that thrive and grow here. I may be in bondage here. I may feel hopeless here. I may feel powerless here. I may be discouraged here. But when I get into his presence, courage begins to grow. Discouragement begins to die. And courage begins to come alive. Hopelessness begins to die. And hope begins to rise. Lies that I believed there begin to be starved of oxygen. And all of a sudden, truth, the encounter that God is with me, that he has not left me, that he is a father, that he is for me. It is truth to me. The very lies that I might believe there when I get into his presence. So we have to have the default mode of we've always got to keep one foot in water. Listen, you may be wore out right now. And the Bible says this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Guess where the joy of the Lord is found? In his presence is fullness of joy. Oh, when I get in his presence and I experience the fullness of joy that's available, I may have been wore out there, but in his presence I find strength because it's in his presence that I find joy and it's the joy of the Lord that's our strength. If you're going to keep your guard up, if you're, going to, if you're going to not allow the enemy to have access to your life with lies, I've got to take care of myself physically. I have to be okay sometimes with just getting sleep and a good meal. But I've got to get into his presence. And then here's the third thing. Who you show up with matters. It is amazing to me that Elijah was throwing himself a pity party that he was all alone. Literally, Elijah's with a servant. He leaves his servant to go ahead 
to tell God how alone he is. God's about to tell him that there's way more, but he, he's with somebody, leaves that person so he can go complain to God about how he's all alone. Who you show up with matters. I, 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 I spoke uh, for many years at a large youth conference in Colorado Springs. And uh, so I go to Colorado Springs, speak at these youth conferences. At the time, Corey Asbury was on staff there, Corey Asbury who wrote Reckless Love. And so Corey gets hold of me and says, Banning, the night that you're preaching, after that, after that service, we've put together a preachers versus worship leaders basketball game. Are you in? Absolutely, I'm in. Competition's at the top of my strength finders. I'm in. Let's do this thing. So, so I'm all ready for it. And one of the things you have to know about Corey is he's anointed, he's gifted, he's a great songwriter, and maybe one of the cockiest basketball players you've ever met. Like, just cocky and a talker. Just a talker. So, so I show up to the thing. I'm ready to go. You know, I'm going to preach that night. I see him in the hallway. It's just this after the, you know. And so... It's Colorado Springs, it's a mile high, we get done preaching, I go to, you know, it's 11 o'clock at night, we go to this like uh, fitness place and we play them and get killed. Worship leaders got crushed, just crushed. I don't think we won a game, I couldn't breathe, literally just couldn't breathe. Corey's talking the whole time, we get beat. So I go home, irritated, my wife's like, how was, you know, we, I, how was the conference? It sucked, it was horrible, it's the worst experience of my life. <laughs> I hated it. And so, a couple months later, the conference calls me and says, hey, we, we'd like you to come speak again. Would you come? I said, okay, I'll come. Corey texts me back. Year two? <laughs> Worship leaders, preachers? I said, absolutely. I hang up the phone, and I pick, and I call a friend. I got a friend. He was the point guard at University of California, Berkeley, Pac-12. <laughs> Played professionally, internationally. I said, Brandon, what you doing? He said, nothing. I said, man, I've been thinking about you recently. <laughs> and I said, uh, man, I'd love for you to go on a ministry trip sometime with me. <laughs> he said, he said, oh, I'd really like that. That'd be great. I said, yeah, we'll have to find one. Hey, you know, I'm going to Colorado this summer. Brandon, God's doing good stuff in Colorado. He's touching young people's lives. He said, I'd love to. I'm like, all right, maybe bring your shoes just in case. <laughs> so Brandon comes with me. Brandon comes with me. I'm like, this is my ministry assistant armor bearer, Brandon. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I get up to preach that night. I didn't even care. I don't even know what I preach. I'm like, all right, young people, Jesus loves you. Read your Bible, share your faith. Okay. And... Uh, I just want to get to the game. We roll into the game that night. I bring Brandon. Crushed him. Killed him. <laughs> Maybe the best night of my life. I don't even think I shot all night. Didn't even matter. I'm like, Brandon, you should shoot a three. Brandon, you should go to the hole. Brandon, you should. Like, we killed him. Crushed him. Who you show up with matters. <laughs> See, here's my deal. I may get beat once. But why would I show up by myself again when I have friends? What, why, why would I show up? I, I, I may get whooped once, but why would I show up again when I got friends that are ballers? 
I'm just like, why are you showing up to that on your own? Why are you getting beat up? You know why you're believing lies? Because you don't bring anybody with you. Because you don't let people in your life. Because you don't get on the phone and make a phone call. You don't pick up the phone. Half the time it's friends that are going like, hey, that's a lie you're believing. Here's truth. And you don't have to go fight that thing on your own. You don't have to fight in your marriage on your own. You don't have to fight in your finances on your own. You don't have to fight in your own personal life on your own. Like, bring friends with you. One of the best ways that you can keep your guard up is to surround yourself with the presence of God and surround yourself with community. I tell you this, isolated people, isolated people are the ones that are most open to deception. Isolated people are the ones that believe the lies. That was Elijah. Elijah left, and, and God just dealt with him on this. He just said, he, you know, he brings up, he brings up Elisha, he brings up Jehu, he brings, he, you know, and then he says, and not only that, there's thousands that haven't bowed the knee. Community is available. And Elijah, you left your servant to come along and complain about how you're all alone. No wonder you're believing lies. But this is the plan of the enemy. He's trying to get you worn down and isolated. He gets us isolated, man. It, it, it offense, hurt. We get offended. We get hurt. Shame. Shame isolates us. And when, and when we allow ourselves to be isolated, and when we get worn down, that's when our guard drops. And when our guard drops, the enemy has access to begin to plant toxic lies that five minutes before we wouldn't have even believed. But they begin to find a foothold because we're worn down. I know this is practical today, but, but I'm just telling you right now, I don't have to be prophetic to understand that many of you in this room, you're believing lies right now. And you're worn down. And can I say you're not worn down because you're not spiritual. Sometimes it's just a cat in the U-Haul season. <laughs> can anybody relate to that? Can anybody relate? It's just a, it's just a cat in the U-Haul type season. And I'm just worn down. And, and this thing's taken longer than I thought. And, and, but I think I've allowed my guard to drop. Man, I'm here today because my heart for you is that you would experience the freedom and the life that God wants to release to you. But that's going to take you being connected to truth. God hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He's a father that is walking with you and cares deeply about you. He's with you in every situation, that there is community that is available. It's the situation's not hopeless. Can I tell you right now, whatever situation you're facing, it is not hopeless. It is not hopeless. See, this is the amazing thing. When I tell you that it, it, it matters who you show up with, do you, do you understand that it matters who you show up with in community, but when the Bible says that there are some things, that, that with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Do you know what we understand? Do you know why every situation, we may look at something and say, that's impossible, but I'm not with man, I'm with God. 
I'm with God. And with God, all things are possible. And hope begins to arise in my life. Why don't you stand up with me? And I, I want to pray for you this morning. I'm going to take just a moment and I'm going to ask you to come forward because I believe that God wants to come today and begin to wash over some of these lies. I believe he wants to come with his presence in this room and begin to not only surround and guard your heart, but heal your heart. That some of the toxic lies that the enemy would get in about your children, about your marriage, about your finances, about your personal life, about your future, about your health, about your relationships, about your workplace, that there are things that the enemy is trying to gain access in and he'll just keep coming. But we're going to be a people that know how to get in His presence. That we're going to be a people that surround ourselves with community. I'm going to ask you right now because I believe that God wants to meet, meet with us this morning. We're not just here at church to hear a good word. We're here to meet with Jesus. We're to encounter His presence. If you're here today and you would say, you know what, I think I, I've been believing a lie. I think I've been worn down. I think my guards dropped and man, I do feel hopeless in this situation or, or I do kind of feel like maybe God isn't with me in there or I do feel like I'm all alone. Whatever it may be, whatever the Holy Spirit's talking to you about, but, but if you're here and you just know like I, I need truth to come. And if you've been worn down or you've been dealing with lies, I want you to get out of your chair and I want you to come forward. I want you to be bold about this because I believe that God wants to come with His presence right now and that He's going to deal with some of this stuff right now. I believe that God wants to meet with you right now and that He's going to break something and He's going to release something. I'd encourage you, if you're in this spot, just get out of your chairs and just come forward to this altar. Come forward to this altar. And I'd encourage you to come forward. Let's just lift our hands to the Lord. Man, I want to encourage you, if you, not just you've been worn out, but if, if you've been if you've dropped your guard, if you've been believing lies, if a situation feels hopeless, if you feel like God's not with you somewhere, get out of your chair and just come forward and allow God to come and meet with you this morning. Allow God to come with His presence and speak to you. Father, we, we're just here in this room right now and we just, God, we retreat to water. God, we recognize that in your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence is strength and that you would come and wash over us. God, that you would remove the toxic lies of the enemy that have come in and tried to separate us from you. And you would come and bring your truth into every situation. We just declare this morning, those that have been trying to have children, that have been struggling on the journey of having children, that God has not abandoned you. I know this is a personal issue, but if you're in here and you've been trying to have children and you, you have not been able to have children and you've been trying, would you just raise your hand? Can you do this for me right now? I don't, I, I'm trying to look and just all, all over if you're around there. If you've been trying to have children and you've been struggling with that, raise your hand. And Father, we just pray if you're around them, would you just stretch out? We just declare this over you, that God has not abandoned you. He has not forgotten about you, that the journey may be longer than you think it is, should have been. But there is hope in your situation. And with man, it may be impossible. But with God, all things are impossible. And we just declare this, that you're with God. You're not with man. That God would restore relationships. That he would forgive debt. 
whatever it may be, and we just lift our hands in this place one more time, and we just invite your presence in this room. Holy Spirit, we just pray you would come and lead us into truth. Holy Spirit, that you would lead and guide us into truth, that your presence would wash over us, that we would become comfortable and confident in your presence. Come on, whether you're up front or out there, just sing this, will you do that? Every voice in this place. Come on, let's just sing over these situations. Let's declare the truth of Jesus. Oh, 